0: Two, three. No, Ready to go. Okay. Welcome to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your hosts, Attorney A.D. Winters and Dr. Dolores Tarver. To learn more about our show, just go to In Our Own Defense Podcast uh, or go to Gmail at In Our Own Defense Podcast at gmail.com. Our mission is to share truths and create dialogue that increases our listeners' awareness of uh, a variety of concerns to foster the development of a holistic plan which incorporates mental, physical, spiritual, financial, and intellectual wellness.
1: The information provided during the In Our Own Defense podcast does not and is not intended to, intended to constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for the knowledge, skill, and judgment of qualified mental health providers or medical providers. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this site are for general informational purposes only.
0: In this episode of In Our Own Defense podcast, we have the luxury of featuring a licensed psychologist, Dr. Miriam M. Jernigan-Noessi. Um, so good to see you, Dr. Tarvin. How have you been?
1: I am tired, but I am here. How about you?
0: I'm doing well. I think we're all just uh, kind of getting that fatigue or mission creep, as it were, like you said, in the Army. Um, you know, just over the course of this last three months of COVID experience that we've all been going through. And uh, particularly over the course of these last couple of weeks since the um, horrendous murder um, of Mr. George Floyd, um, the American citizenry has, has experienced things again and again. And it seems as if we've hit a breaking point as it relates to racial trauma. It seems as if the people are now starting to speak their voice and their truths, that they're starting to be able to say, I've had enough is enough. Uh, it, 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 it impressed me this week when I seen the activism, whether it was social media activism, you know, where people are risking their own lives uh, to go out and, and in the face of a disastrous pandemic, and still go out to protest and lift their voice because it's almost like they're saying, give me liberty or give me death. I'm not willing to take another day and move another day while I can't be free, unabashedly free. You're not gonna use the taxpayers' dollars in an organization that I pay their salary with my hard earned money and use them to intimidate me, beat me, and kill me for eight minutes and 56 seconds. The American experience endured this. To me, this was the lowest point. There's been so many low points of killing unarmed black people. These little babies have seen an image of these little black women who have been murdered by police. They were babies compared to me and to have their lives stolen by people who were sworn to protect it. I was in law enforcement as a prosecutor, and there's no way as a lawyer we could get away with this. I was in the military for 23 years, retired, and there's no way that if I was deployed in Afghanistan or Iraq or anywhere on God's green earth that I would have been able to get away with treating other humans like this. We'd have to pay for goats if we hurt a goat during a battle. We'd have to go back and settle up with that farmer. We'd get in trouble. You could get kicked out of the military for this stuff. And and it took all of these protests that I've watched to be people saying, hey, enough is enough. And, and I know it was a lot, but it has been an exhausting experience. And I'm so proud of these youth for stepping up to say it. So what, what has been your take on it uh, with this these these murders that and how we're being affected with this trauma, Doctor Tarvin.
1: I was about to ask you if you're going to run for office, um, but I felt like that might not be appropriate while you were talking about what you experienced. <laughs> um, but I will say to you that I literally am I'm exhausted, and and everything that you just said are some reasons why. Like as a mental health provider, and I'm very excited about our our guest Dr. Jermagan Noessi to come and talk about this because mental health providers, we bear the brunt of all of this. So our, our clients are coming in to talk about it. Our friends are talking about it. We're talking about it with our families. Uh, we have coworkers that we're talking about it with. People come to us and they're asking us questions. How do you handle this? And so I literally feel like I can't turn it off. So this is the first time in my, my career that I felt like I cannot separate out what I'm talking about at work and what I'm talking about at home and what I'm talking about in almost every aspect of my life. I literally had to take a break from watching the news for three or four days. I just didn't even wanna know anymore. I couldn't take any more in. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of things, I'm resentful because I'm, I'm honestly tired of people asking me to, to tell them how to fix it. Uh, I am exhausted because I don't know how to fix it all. Um, I am somewhat hopeless because I wonder if it's fixable. Um, I am angry uh, because if I see one more time, I, I don't think I have one more in me. You were, you were talking about earlier uh, seeing a, a child's shirt that said, this is, you got the right generation this time, we're done. Because I don't, I don't think I can take one more. I really don't. And, and they keep popping up in my inbox. People keep sending me more and more videos. And I really am done. And so I want to um, really, I'm very excited about this conversation today because I really want to flush out for people the effects of seeing this trauma over and over and over again and having these conversations of safety and protection and how we're going to handle this and rallying and rioting and all the things we're doing in response to trauma. Because I think she's going to be able to really help us understand why we're exhausted and all those other range of emotions I just
0: talked about. Well, thank you. Well, I, I think um, I think there's there's so much to talk about it, but I would like for us if you don't mind, can you introduce our guest, Dr. Jernigan Noessi?
1: It would be my absolute pleasure to introduce Dr. Jernigan Noessi, who is a licensed psychologist, professor, clinical scientist, and CEO. Jernigan and Associate Psychological and Educational Consulting, LLC. She is currently uh, living in Atlanta, Georgia and serves as an Assistant Professor of Psychology at Agnes Scott College in Decatur. She has also served as an Assistant Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of St. Joseph. She currently holds an appointment as Assistant Clinical Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the Yale University School of Medicine. Dr. Noesi has specialized clinical training in multicultural psychology, pediatric and adolescent health, family therapy, identity development, and the psychological impact of experiences of racial discrimination, i.e. racial trauma. Dr. Noesi completed formal clinical internship at the Center for Multicultural Training in Psychology at Boston Medical Center and Boston University School of Medicine. Her postdoctoral experiences included clinical and teaching appointments, at Harvard Medical School through the Leadership in Adolescent Health Fellowship at Austin Children's Hospital. She has served as National Research Sor- Service Award Fellow at Yale University School of Medicine. Her contributions as a scholar and researcher have earned her several accolades um, and she has studied racism, racial discrimination, and social determinants of mental and physical health outcomes. And she has served as a consultant to numerous academic, healthcare, and private organizations, providing assessment, strategic planning, and technical assistance, uh, t- technical assistance on issues related to equity and inclusion. So, let us both welcome Dr. Jernigan Noezi. Welcome to the
0: show, Doc. Welcome to the show, and thank, thank
2: you so much for coming. Yeah, no, thank you for having me.
0: Good deal. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have you here. Uh, you have some extremely in, uh, impressive um, um, credentials, but but more importantly, you're the perfect person to come here and really uh, educate and inform our, our listeners and our um, our audience. So um, Dr. Target, you want to start with the first question because I can't wait to get to mom.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that a lot of people are using various terms to describe what people are experiencing Mm -hmm. and violent images of black people, people of color uh, being killed at the hands of law enforcement, um, perceived or real threats to their safety in their own experiences by police officers, and how we're just attacking each other about how we should be responding, what we should be doing, um, talking to each other on social media and and a lot of... um, I think very critical ways of how we're receiving the information that's on the news and social media and i know that we use racial trauma but can we just talk about the different types of trauma as an expert in this area what are some of the
2: ways that you might be described that you might describe what people are experiencing right now i think as you noted racial trauma is the terminology that's used most frequently now um but as you know, from a scholarship standpoint, meaning folks in the field of mental health who study and really describe what this experience is really dates back um, Some decades. And so some of my mentors and, and elders in the field of psychology really started what they called race based traumatic stress. As well as racist incident, these trauma. So for folks who may be looking at information, you may see racial trauma come up under several different names. I would say most commonly, the you know the popular media has held on to the idea. And since about 2014, so the last real big wave, right, of violence that was captured on camera and really publicized via social media. Um, so post Trayvon Martin, it's um, I saw racial trauma really begin to increase in terms of its use and utility. And it really just describes the psychological as well as the physical health consequences, um, which come as a result of experiences of significant uh, experiences of racial discrimination. And so I would say for a while, um, for me, some of what I do, um, and what I mean by that is my, my role as a professor and my role as a clinician are really intentional for me because I often found that as a clinician, which is where I love to do the work, to disseminate, to you know provide direct service, um, there's often this gap in folks maybe in the ivory tower researching, which really informed the policy. There's this gap between you know, what they're writing about and thinking and what we were seeing on the ground. And so for me, I try to hold both of those roles to, to narrow that gap, and in particular, um, to look at issues that, you know, mostly affect uh, black and brown folks. And so it's been years, you know, conceptualizing and researching and thinking about, you know, what what is trauma, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, what does it mean, you know, for folks to experience or to have these significant experiences across generations and how that affects individuals and so the argument in the field of mental health for years and that our clinical definition of trauma which really dates back to like the civil war right and really looking at experiences of veterans most notably right the vietnam era veterans really brought about the you know clinical diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder but behind the scenes folks were really pushing for this idea that there are other experiences that an individual can have which result in some of those same symptoms so you know flashbacks and hypervigilance, um, increased anxiety, increased experiences of sadness in some cases. Um, and so more recently, we're now at a point in the clinical field where our additions, um, you know, related to post-traumatic stress kind of allow for, you know, looking at experiences of discrimination. But again, racial trauma is really cap- capturing the idea that whether you are witnessing vicariously, meaning watching a video, or um, yourself have direct experiences with discrimination, that they are significant enough, they impact folks enough um, that it can and really negative consequences for them in terms of the thoughts that they're having after the fact, in terms of the emotions that they're feeling, and uh, we know uh, as well from health research in terms of what eventually happens to their body and racism being as pervasive as it is, you know, for such a long time. We're also looking at just the intergenerational effects, right, of, of racism and discrimination on folks. So that's the most, you know, that that's, how I like to explain racial trauma, I think some of the other language that I'm hearing, you know, folks use are collective trauma, um, things like complex trauma, you know, for example. And so I...
0: Now we lost... She froze up for a second. Are you you're able to still engage, but we can't hear her. Yeah, we lost her, she froze like... up. So we're on collective trauma. Okay,
2: you... I was good, yeah. So I was gonna say, freeze, so I can go back. Um, I was saying I moved locations, I got a, a motive in there. But I was um, shifting to just talk about the different terminology.
0: Yeah. Um, but...
2: Yes, um, that I'm hearing. So in addition to racial.
0: So we'll cut I that. Think some... So we'll pause. Cut collective trauma. And then you can pick it up at collective trauma. Um,
2: So collective trauma really speaks to the experiences um, that a collective group of individuals may have. That could be, you know, a geographic uh, neighborhood or area, um, as well as an entire society. The most researched collectively traumatic event